So as we start, let me see if I can give a quick recap uh, of the story that we've seen over the last several weeks as we have been talking about Moses. We talk about the reality that Moses was born into a time of great suffering. His people, the Israelites, uh, were being oppressed as slaves of the Egyptians. Moses' mom was forced to abandon him at about three months of age because his life was on the line if she didn't do so. He became the adopted son of a daughter of Pharaoh, grew up, we assume, probably in the palace or near the palace, in a place where he was removed from living as an Israelite, but able to see what was happening with his people, able to watch as his people, the Hebrew people, were being oppressed and were being abused. And at some point, we find out in his story that he decided he wanted to do something about this oppression. He wanted to do something about this abuse. So the story tells us that he killed an Egyptian man one day who was beating an Israelite slave. And the response was not exactly what he thought it would be. When word got out as to what he had done, the Israelites no longer trusted him. Well, we don't know if they did anyway, but they surely didn't trust him after this. And Pharaoh decided he wanted to kill him for what he had done. So the story says that Moses ran from Egypt. In his running, he was taken in by a family in Midian. We find out that he married one of the daughters of this family, and he went into the family business, which was apparently taking care of sheep. And one day, while Moses was out with the sheep, seemingly in a place that maybe he had never been before, it was further out of town than maybe he was used to going, but while he was out there, we're told that God met Moses in the form of a burning bush that didn't burn up. And we talked about that this bush then invited Moses in to come and be in the presence of God. And then that out of this bush came this call for what Moses was to do next with his life. He was called to go back to Egypt and to rescue the slaves. And then we watched this really interesting back and forth interaction. We didn't read all of it last week, but for a chapter or so, there's this back and forth interaction between Moses and God. No, I'm not the right guy. No, I'm not who you want to go. And God kept saying, you, you are, and I'll be with you. I'll take care of you. I'll give you the things that you don't have. And this back and forth and back and forth continued to happen until eventually Moses gave in. Moses decided that he would surrender to the call that God had and that he would do what God asked him to do and go back to Egypt. And that's where we stopped last week. But the journey was just beginning for Moses. It was all beginning to start out. So Moses returns to Egypt. He goes back to Egypt and he protests on behalf of the Israelite people. And he demands that Pharaoh let them go. And he begins the process of negotiating their release. What will happen? How will they get loose? And we see as these horrific plagues take place, uh, these terrible occurrences that happen over the people of, uh, of Egypt, uh, and eventually Pharaoh is at the place of, of having no other option but to release the people, to let them go with Moses to this land that God had apparently promised for them. And as I read the story, and, and maybe as we think about the story, there are ways in which it seems like this should be what happens right before they step into the promised land. That, that the very next thing that we should read, the very next step of what happens is 
Now they enter the promised land. So they're being oppressed. They're being slaves. This is how they're raised. And we see Moses who runs away, but then he goes back and he rescues them from slavery. They flee Egypt. They get away from what's going on. And that the very next step should be into paradise, into what was promised, into what was expected. And yet that's not the way the story goes. We continue to read the book of Exodus for chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. We find out that they didn't immediately step into this promised land. That it was actually a really long journey from Egypt to the promised land. And in fact, it was a long journey from Egypt to the border of the promised land. And then a long waiting period before that next step happened. And Numbers chapter 33, the passage that we read, talks, it, again, it's an intro to some of this journey that they experienced. And if you keep reading, it talks about places they went and some things they experienced. And it summarizes it all in kind of one chapter together. But it talks about, and the passage even said, these stages that they walked through as they journeyed from Egypt to the border of the promised land. This transition of escape, this massive life change that happened when they got out of Egypt and they got out of slavery wasn't actually an ending. Instead, it seems that this was a new beginning to their journeying with God. And the journey is so very important. We've been using a book by Ruth Haley Barton as kind of a help and an assistance as we're looking at the life of Moses. A book called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. She focuses on a lot of leadership principles in it. We've kind of taken it out of that context and put it in the context of us living the life of faith uh, in the church. But she gives us insight into the story of Moses, which is why we're using it as a companion and kind of a guide in this. Showing us as Moses' journey, as he lived his life, what implications that that also has for our life and for our faith. And after she talks about Moses' experience with this burning bush, she talks about the importance of us noticing, the wisdom of us noticing the journey that the Israelites went on. And the ways in which it is similar to our own life experience, to our own journey of faith experience. And as she does so, she talks about some stages some stages of their journey, some stages of formation that we experience. And she talks about how that happens in the life of the Israelites and how that happens for us in our faith journey. Now, journey language is something that we're familiar with around Valley. If you're not, you've been sleeping for about six years now. Because we talk about journey quite a bit. About the idea of faith being a journey. We talk about the belief that we have that Valley exists for... Disciple making, right? We exist to make disciples. And as we talk about discipleship, discipleship is what we talk about as being a journey. A journey from knowing nothing about God to a place of being a faithful follower of Jesus. But even this place, even this faithful follower of Jesus is not an end point. It's something that we continue to journey into and we continue to travel beyond and make a part of what we're doing. Now there's several reasons why we choose to use journey language. One of those is that it helps us remember that we are more alike other people than we are different from them. Whether or not they're followers of Jesus, if we have been on this journey of faith, every person we would say is on this journey of faith. Everybody somewhere on that journey. And it means that we all began at a place where we knew nothing about God. Now for some... That we left that knowing nothing really, really early. 
My three-year-old and my five-year-old know a whole lot that they hear about God. So very early they left that, but still are in this place of having not yet decided to walk with Jesus. So still on this journey and closer to the, the reality of us remembering where we've come from. Whether we're them or whether we're us, we've all come from a place of knowing nothing about God. And it allows us to remember where we've come from and to understand where other people perhaps still are. Another reason we use journey language is that it allows us to remember and to focus on the idea that this is about ongoing movement. About continued movement in a direction. If we talk about faith as a journey rather than a finish line, then we remember we are still moving. We're still in this ongoing experience with God. No matter how long we've been doing this, no matter how long we've been in it. Whether we've been a follower of Jesus for days or months or years and years and years and years. We're still on an ongoing pursuit of God, on an ongoing journey of trying to figure out how to follow after Jesus. And along that journey, there's a multitude of milestones that we'll experience. And when we do so, these these milestones, these reasons for celebration and transformation and these changes that take place, we need to recognize them and celebrate them, but not get stuck in them because we have to continue to move forward. To continue to journey because there is always more. As long as you and I are alive on this earth, we have never reached a place where we have completed the faith journey. We're still on it. So these stages that Barton talks about in her book, these stages that they experience are experiences that, that, that you and I have on our faith journey. Experiences that the Israelites had as they moved towards this land God had promised them. And experiences that we have as we continue forward in faith towards all the promises that God has for us. And it's these stages that actually begin this initial move towards Jesus that has to happen if we're somewhere on the journey. And if on that journey we've chosen to become a follower of Jesus, these stages are a part of beginning to initiate that. Because each of us comes to a point in life where we have to decide, do I want to follow Jesus or not? And as I talk about a point, I actually believe that sometimes there are multiple points. Because I believe that even if at this first time we decline the offer, that Jesus returns again, continuing to put before us the opportunity to follow after him. But at some point, we have to make a decision. And doing so, deciding that we're going to follow Jesus is the most significant transition that happens on this journey. The most significant change because it completely changes the trajectory of where we're headed. Everything is redefined when we become a people who are interested in following after Jesus, who commit to following after Jesus. And yet again, hear this, that's not the end. Conversion, choosing to follow Jesus, is not the finish line. For the people of Israel, the escape from Egypt was not the end, it was a new beginning. And for us, choosing to follow after Jesus, this decision that we make to walk with Jesus, initiates us into this journey, this ongoing journey with Jesus that we follow all the rest of the days of our life. So these stages appear both before we choose to follow Christ and they continue to be a part of our faith journey even after we make that decision. Because we understand that part of that journey, part of moving forward is that God desires to to do the work of transformation in us. The Holy Spirit longs to make of us a new creation. 
And these stages are part of the experiences that happen to continue to foster the work of transformation in us, to foster the work of new life and a new experience of us becoming all that God has called us to be. This being transformed thing is not an optional piece of what it means to be a Christian. This is the ongoing journey that we're choosing to walk with Jesus. All right, everybody still with me? It's a little questionable this morning. Yeah? Callie says yes, but she has to. I know where she sleeps at night. All right, there's some laughter. We're at least awake. Let's talk about the stages she talks about. All right? Um, because they illustrate for us and help us maybe get some bearings in our own life and what's happening and what we've been through or what we're in right now. She starts with talking about the stage that is pre-awareness. There was a time that the Israelites had no idea that where they were living and what they were living in was somehow wrong. That this wasn't what they were supposed to experience. All they'd ever known was oppression. All they had ever experienced was being slaves. This way of living was a, was a foregone conclusion, an assumption that this is just the way things work. They'd forgotten that there was a time in life that the Israelites and the Egyptians were allies. It actually tells us that in the beginning of Exodus, that the time had come that everybody had forgotten that Joseph ever lived and that Joseph had been responsible for saving the Israelites and the Egyptians as they walked through famine. So all that's forgotten, and this is all that they know. It's all they'd ever experienced. So all they'd ever known were power struggles and oppression and abuse. And somehow it seemed like this is the way that things were supposed to work. We experience this stage of pre-awareness. Definitely before we make a decision to follow after Jesus. A place where it just feels like this is what life is supposed to look like. This is the way in which things are supposed to work. And yet, again, as we talk about these stages both before and after faith, pre-awareness is also a part of our faith experience after we've chosen to follow after Jesus. Because there are still aspects of our life that are less than what God desires. And initially, we don't even recognize that truth. There are areas of our life where sin may still be rampant. And whether we know it or not, it's there and it's present. And we're in this stage of pre-awareness, this stage of not recognizing that there's something going on that perhaps shouldn't, that perhaps is less than what God desires or dreams of, that is somehow different from who God has called us to be. But it's time in the presence of Jesus that allows us to see that these things are less than what God has created them to be. That our life is less than what God has created it to be. So we move from that pre-awareness stage into what she calls the second stage, which is awareness. The Israelites and Moses in the story of Exodus began to recognize that something was wrong. Oppression was increasing, suffering was growing, the work was getting harder and harder. Now they were murdering their babies so that they didn't outgrow the, the Egyptians and the ability they had to hold power over them. Moses knew something wasn't right, so Moses went to work early in the story trying to resolve this and fix everything, but he couldn't do it on his own. And eventually there came the time that even the people of Israel began to recognize something's wrong here. We can't continue to live this way. This isn't the way that life is supposed to be. The, the moment of awareness, the point of awareness, the stage of awareness began to become clear to them. In our own journey, we too enter that phase 
Whether it's before Christ is, is who, what we've chosen or not, we enter that space of recognizing that we aren't experiencing life the way that we're supposed to. That we're not living as free as the scriptures seem to say that we could. That our life experience, that our journey with Christ, that our, that our faith does not match, does not mimic what we see in the scriptures, that somehow something is missing. Areas of sin in our life begin to become clear. We begin to recognize that there are these things that we need to deal with, these sin issues that need to be overcome. And whether we, we discover that supernaturally or through the reading of scripture or in times of silence and in solitude or in prayer or maybe even through another person, whether it's because they speak into our life or we watch the, the imitation, the life that they live and go, wait a minute, there's something happening over there that isn't true here. We enter this stage that she calls awareness where our eyes begin to become open to something different. Something more. As I think about the stage of awareness, it makes me think about my dad. My parents grew up in the church. They raised their kids in the church. They both made faith decisions. They watched all three of their children make faith decisions. They were actively involved in what was happening in the church that I grew up in. They were part of worship. They found places to serve. They were working on some personal faith development as they were continuing to kind of do this thing that they'd seen. But there was a, a, a very memorable experience, a very memorable time for me when my dad entered a space in his own faith journey, probably 20 years ago or so, that he began to ask the question, is this it? Is this it? It, it seems like there's supposed to be more to this life of following after Jesus than this. Dad came to the place of saying, this seems so underwhelming. And I don't think that that's what it's supposed to be like following after Jesus. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you would claim that in your life or not, perhaps you've had similar feelings. Times in your life where you have noticed a longing for something deeper, for something more, a a desire for a more significant faith. A desire for a life more fully connected with Jesus, more transformed, a a life more in line with what it is that we see in the scriptures. Maybe you've even struggled staying faithful because this life of faith seems so incredibly ordinary rather than extraordinary. Your personal experiences, maybe what you see in other people, doesn't seem to be in line with what we read in the scriptures. And sometimes that can bring us to a place of just beginning to question, should we even keep doing this? Should we even keep moving forward? I think for us, this is the beginning of awareness. And I want to propose that this is God calling you and me into experiencing something deeper. Something we've never experienced before. It brings us to what she calls the next phase, which is a turning point. My parents, if, and I've told you their story before, my parents ultimately made the decision that they were going to pack up their life and move to Africa for about a decade. Now, if you knew my parents, you would know how incredible that decision was. How mind-boggling it was that they went and they lived the life that they lived for all of those years. But they were in pursuit of trying to follow Jesus more faithfully. This turning point had come. For Moses, it meant a return to Egypt, 
where he went and he protested and he advocated for the life of the slaves, trying to get them released. And then we watch, and we didn't read this part of the story, but we watch as these miraculous signs and wonders begin to take place as God is showing Moses and the Israelites and even Pharaoh that God has bigger dreams for them, that God wants more for them, that there's an entire way of life that these people have never known that God wants them to know. They'd seen that something was wrong, and now God was giving them a glimpse of more. God was giving them a glimpse of life in a brand new way. God was giving them a glimpse of freedom and power and wonder. God was calling them forward. But in order for anything to change, in order for anything to move forward, they had to move into that next stage of choosing to follow after Jesus. They had to choose to drop the buckets, to, to leave behind the water that they had in order to bake the bricks, to let the mud and the straw all just go wherever it would, to leave it all behind and just, just, just to stop, to abandon their homes, to walk away from slavery towards freedom. And as a people who have never been slaves, we have a tendency to hear that and go, well, of course, obviously, but the reality is it's incredibly hard to walk away from slavery. It's incredibly hard to walk away from whatever we've known, whether it's in our own life of faith or even in our day-to-day living as we experience things that we go, something here is less than it seems like it should be, is less than ideal, is, is less than what we hope for, and yet it's easier to stay than it is to walk into the unknown. So often we stay. They could have stayed. There was a risk in leaving. Change is hard. We may know that what we're experiencing and what we're in isn't sufficient, that somehow it's less than what God intends, but we don't yet know what is just around the corner. We don't know how everything changes if we move forward. We don't know if it gets better or if it changes. We don't know if all of a sudden we get to experience it until we decide to walk into it. Man, in doing so is incredibly scary. It requires bold action. It mandates great bravery out of us. And as we talk about it, and I think about the story of Moses and the story of Israel, and we even go through the list now, it seems again like this is supposed to be the goal. That this is where we're trying to get, that this is the place of completion. And yet, Barton talks about in her book that this is just one of the stages that we experience. One of the stages in our journey of faith. And even though we're looking at them in in what's a linear fashion, because I don't know how to necessarily look at them in some other fashion. She points out, and it's important for us to recognize, these stages aren't necessarily linear. More often than not, they tend to be circular, as she talks about in the book. But my personal opinion is that actually these stages can be, can be a little bit frenetic. Kind of the bouncing around from place to place, not real sure what's happening or where we're going or what's, or what's going on. And we experience this, and then we're there, and then we're here, and then we're there. Walking through these stages that she talks about in our faith journey. So there's a handful more, and I want to mention them, but we're not going to walk through each one. I want to actually mention them all together both as a reminder of the fact that they're not linear and because not timing won't necessarily let us walk through illustrating each and every one of them. But she talks about this phase of entering the wilderness, what she also calls the roundabout way. And she talks about this roundabout way. She talks about things like times of testing, seasons of waiting, learning to be still. Those are on the 
the screen if you if you want that. Or again, her book does a much, much better job of talking about this. There's also a podcast that she's done around the book and these themes that's available if you're interested in that. But as they walk forward on this journey ahead of them, as they walk forward as to all that they experience after this turning point, after leaving, they walked into the realities of this journey. And in this journey ahead, they were going to have the opportunity to learn what it meant to fully rely on God. And also to become fully what God had created them to be. So as we think about their journey and we talk about some of the experiences, and if you've not read what happens in the journey of Israel, I encourage you to do so. It'd be great if we could just sit here and read the whole thing, but we'd spend all day just reading the text. And some of you that aren't already asleep would also go to sleep. But their journey is amazing, and they experience things like times of difficulty. Seasons where they're thirsty and they're not sure where water is going to come from and they're forced into this place of trusting that God will provide for them even though they don't know how. We learn about times where they're forced to be still. When they literally stand trapped in between the Red Sea and the Egyptian people who had changed their mind and the armies were coming after them and all that they could do in that moment was stop and be still and just wait and trust that God would protect them. We see times of wandering, this idea of this roundabout way, times of wandering when they weren't sure where they were going or how they would get there and they had to trust that God would give them guidance, that God would show them what was coming. These were the stages that God used to prepare them for what was coming, for what was ahead. And as they walked through these stages, all of these last stages they saw as they were in this wilderness place. And we have a tendency as a people to think about wilderness as a place of desperation. But the scriptures don't usually present wilderness quite that way. There is desperation while they're there. There is, a, there is a longing while they're in desperation. But the scriptures seem to always talk about the wilderness as a significant place for formation. It's in the wilderness that God does some of the forming, that God does some of the changing. Now, the wilderness isn't easy. The way that we're going in the wilderness isn't always clear. There's, there's pain there. We get lonely there. There are times of longing and want. But in this wilderness, God gets the opportunity to do the work of shaping and forming us. This is where God makes us into the new creation that we were always called to be and always created to be. And part of how that happens is because we are promised that God is Always with us in the wilderness. The wilderness is hard, but necessary. And we are never alone in the wilderness. Something sacred happens when we become dissatisfied with where we are. When we realize that God has offered us more. When we choose to turn and to go towards God and enter into the wilderness, when we decide that we're going to begin this journey towards new life, this this journey with Jesus all the rest of the days of our life. And it means that we will walk through phases and times and maybe a multitude of them where we experience what it means to be in the wilderness and with it the trials and the waiting and the stillness that comes. But all of that pushes us forward into this renewing cycle, this over and over again calling towards faithfulness. Where we have to choose to surrender. 
where we choose the journey of walking forward into discipleship. As the scriptures talk about faith, as the scriptures talk about the journey, we find that instead of of, of bullet points, which is what we so often want to do with the talk of faith, instead of bullet points, it talks about this ongoing journey, this over and over again need to come to the place of choosing and surrender. This is the way that Jesus talked about it in the book of Luke. Chapter 9, verse 23, it says, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own own way, take up your cross... Notice there's a word after that. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Not a one-time thing. Not a one-time decision. An everyday decision. And in my own life, daily is not nearly enough. It's a moment-by-moment decision to walk with Jesus. The book of Exodus talks about the journey this way. In chapter 13, it says, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Notice in that passage, the roundabout way was to protect them. Because God knew that if things got too hard, they might turn around and run. So God, instead of leading them the direct path, took them the roundabout way so that they would continue to choose to follow after Jesus and continue to be able to do so. What we find in both of these passages and passages and throughout the scripture is that we are told that the journey is worth it. And that God is working to form us and to shape us throughout all of this journey. That God has called us and that these experiences are continuing to call us to come and to follow. And that we have to make a decision as to whether we will follow or not. And that afterwards God continues this work of transformation. Through these stages, through these phases, God continues this work of making us all that we were created to be. These stages revolve and we decide to continue on the journey. And the stages aren't necessarily set in stone. They're an opportunity for us to look at our own life and go, oh, you know what, this, this is my experience right now. So I ask you, where might you find yourself on the journey? As you think about Barton's stages, or you think about where you're going, or you think about where you're headed, or you think about the focus or the goal in your life, as you think about the trajectory you're on, where is it that you find yourself on the journey? Do you recognize God's presence there? God is there. It's promised. What do we have to do to find him, to look for him? And then what would it take for you and me to have the courage to take God's hand and to choose to walk forward with God into the work of transformation? Pray with me, would you? Jesus, it is my prayer this morning that you would continue the incredible work of transforming our souls of transforming our lives, of transforming our families and our communities and our church and our world because of the ways in which you are working in the lives of people who love you 
and have chosen to join you. God, work through us. Transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.